Welcome to episode 358 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And this is a video interview. So if you are listening right now and you would rather be viewing my special guest and myself, simply go to YouTube and type in We Don't Die Radio 358. Today, we have a returning guest who was first on episode 123 over four years ago. We have medical doctor Piero Calvi Parasetti. He has a brand new book out called Step Into the Light, Transform Your Fear of Death by Learning About Life After Life. You can see his other books and find out more about him on his website, which is drparasetti.com. Dr. Piero, welcome back to We Don't Die Radio. Sandra, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Really oh, lovely to see you. It's great. And lovely actually to see you in, on screen, smiling and happy. I'm really happy to be here. Me too. And for our listener or our viewer, we're recording this April 15th in 2021. The world's been crazy this past year. We haven't gotten out in person, so it's really nice to have a new friendly face to be talking with. And someday we'll give each other a big hug. Indeed, it's it's coming. Where I I live in Scotland, it's coming. We really have the feeling that it's coming to an end and things are opening up. And thank whoever is in charge, people are not dying anymore. And so, yeah, there are really reasons for hope. There's a lot of reasons for hope. So, I know we had you on four years ago, but since then, we have a whole bunch of new listeners and viewers. And if you wouldn't mind, before we get into your book, talking about a little bit about you and your past and Mm -hmm. some of the other things you've done and what brought you here to this point. Okay, very good. So I am uh, your run-of-the-mill Western-educated medical doctor. I graduated in medicine. And uh, then what happened is that I got interested in international humanitarian assistance and I wanted to work for the Red Cross. So I got uh, a master's degree in public health. And for a number of years, I did indeed work internationally with the International Red Cross for many years and then shortly uh, for the United Nations. Great, fantastic experience, beautiful years. That's the best years of my life personally. <clears throat> and then I went on uh, from, from the field to the classroom. And for 17 years, I taught uh, uh, management of humanitarian operations, that's public health in emergencies, but broader than that, the overall management of humanitarian operations to graduate and, and doctoral students to uh, three uh, major universities in Europe. And that's what I've been doing up until the momentous, not up until, I would say in parallel to the momentous day when uh, when my wife, one day we were living in Geneva in Switzerland at the time, and I remember across the, uh, the table in the kitchen, one day we were having tea, and she told me an anecdote, you know, a very simple story, a, a spooky, a ghostly story that happened to her. She's from Glasgow herself many years ago. And 
I, you know, I, I started by saying that I'm a Western-educated medical doctor. And with that, I imply that at the time, this was happening in 2008, at the time, I was in a frame of mind that everything that can possibly exist is matter. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot touch it or measure it, it simply does not exist. And therefore, mind Well, what's mind? Mind is simply the product of the electrochemical activity of the brain, isn't it? And by logical consequence, when that activity stops, well, that's the end of it. That's the end of us, that's the end of mind, and that's the end of life. And that little anecdote with, in the greater scheme of things, was as acute, but is a, is a tiny little story, but set in motion a process which lasted well. It, we're now in 2021. So what is it? I mean, a long time, many years. And that it set me on a path of discovering, of discovery, sorry, and on a path of suffering as well, because I was discussing this with uh, with somebody else recently, and I say that it is indeed an arduous, a difficult path, because moving from that uncritical acceptance of materialism to the position where I am now is not a linear process. It's not that you you you. You, you read a book or you, you understand something and you're done. No, changing worldview is a going and coming back process. One moment you're convinced and the next moment you say, no, bloody hell, but that's not possible. I mean, come on, it's too incredible, too unbelievable to possibly be true. But, you know, at the end of, uh, I, I reckon, I'm, I'm, I'm fond of saying, because it's true, I reckon to this day I read about 30,000 pages of literature on the broader subject of psychical research. And I'm a member of several professional scientific organizations dedicated to the study of these subjects. And I went to conferences, study days, I even trained personally with Raymond Moody, who I think many of your listeners will remember is the you know, 25 million copy seller of, of Life After Life. If the, the first one we've uh, really come out to spoken about uh, near-death experiences in, in the 70s. So all that, my reading, my learning, my scholarly attitude for, 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 for that and the interaction with other experts and everything eventually did convince that, as your show uh, uh, very correctly says, we don't die in a way which we do not understand because I don't claim we understanding. I, I would, I would, you know, I would lie if I said I understand and I think nobody really understands but the evidence is there. The facts are there. Anybody who has considered the whole lot of the evidence can only draw one conclusion. In a way, we do not understand human personality survives the death of the physical body. It's such good news. (laughs) It is indeed. While we don't understand how so many things work in the world, they are real. And so it's a wonderful Correct. time that I think there's a tipping point that's occurring that we're getting people 
with medical backgrounds, with scientific backgrounds to all come forward with their knowledge. And then we'll be the tipping point that actually, I think right now more people do believe in the afterlife than don't, but it's not openly discussed. That that is the point, if I may pick up on that, that's really important because um, even amongst scientists, so to speak, or people of a scientific disposition, if you ask them personally, if you ask them off the record, they admit the existence, for instance, of psychic powers. And I think that at least as a possibility, they will entertain the possibility of survival. But then the pressure from, you know, the the orthodoxy in academia, the disservice that media organizations are doing to the truth, only presenting one side of the argument is, is terrible. There's a complete dominance of materialism over media, for instance. I mean, we, we don't want to get into, into an argument here, but it's true, what you say is true, quote-unquote, common people do believe in survival, also because many of them had a direct experience. And even people of a scientific disposition, when asked individually and personally off the records, they will say that they do entertain this possibility. But then when they they have to make a pronouncement officially, they retract and they have to protect their career, their status and everything. They have to take the skeptical attitude, which is sadly still fashionable now. Mm. Well, before we get into what you are doing now, can you just give us uh, titles and a little bit of the information of your other books that you have? Because they're all yes, very interesting. It, 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 thank you. It's, it's lovely. When in, after a few years of furious reading and studying, as I have this, I don't really understand. Uh, this is a personal thing, but I don't understand myself. Why? When I feel that I have understood something, I feel the need of sharing that with my wife, then with my friends, then, and you know, and it, this happens on, on afterlife science, but happens in a number of other things. <laughs> when I find something which I think is smart, I feel compelled to share it. And since I have few talents, very few talents in, in, in life. But one of those is, is communication. I write well, that comes naturally to me. And as a long-time university lecturer, I'm good at, at explaining, at communicating, at actually laying out things for people to understand. And so years ago already, I wrote this 21 Days into the Afterlife book, Uh, which is a a dialogue between myself and a skeptic, or let's say between myself when I wrote the book and myself before I started this process. And the skeptic says, what what the hell are you talking about? Have you gone out of your mind? And, And the new me says, no, hold on a sec. I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to lay out the facts 
the evidence, and then you yourself will make the judgment and will come to your conclusion. And so this is a dialogue over a period of 21 days organized in 21 chapters. And every day we look at one sector of the evidence from you know, near-death experiences, deathbed visions, psychic powers, reincarnation, and blah, blah, and then medium communication, etc. Then that's 21 days into the afterlife. Then I wrote, actually, I, I put together some 50-odd, 54, I think, articles that I had written and, and the blog I, I kept for many years and put them together as a collection of, of article called, articles called Adventures in Psychical Research. And then I engaged into what probably is the most important endeavor I got into since 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 taking the afterlife, since getting the afterlife bug, because you know uh, I'm a medical doctor, and I remain a humanitarian at heart. And the humanitarian, what does humanitarian mean? Humanitarian means being moved by somebody else's suffering and having the desire to alleviate that suffering. And that's been with me forever. When I was studying at medical school, when I was practicing for a few years as a, as a GP, and then when I got into, into international assistance with the Red Cross, you see the suffering and you want to help. And that exact frame of mind applies to, to, to my presence in, in, in the rarefied world of afterlife studies or psychical research. Um, yes, I'm a scholar because I like learning things, but I'm interested in the application of the things I have learned. I'm, 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 I have a will to share them, and therefore I write my books. But my, my primary instinct and my primary desire is that what I have learned should be of help to other people. And this, in fact, is called applied psychical research. Psychical research is the study of the combination of what we call today parapsychology, which is the study of anomalous experiences and the so-called psychic powers, plus the study of evidence for survival. And psychical research has gone a bit out of fashion. Nobody really knows what psychical research is these days. So I'd rather uh, speak about parapsychology and afterlife science. So uh, back to my, my own, what I, I feel has been a contribution, and I am told has been a contribution to, in, to this field and has made a difference for, I'm glad to say, quite a few people, is that I have put my learning and my understanding of the survival hypothesis and all the evidence into an eight-hour video course and I've written a cognitive behavior therapy-based self-help manual for the benefit of the bereaved. And when perhaps we have a moment to talk about my, my latest book, which is directed to a slightly different, not a slightly, an entirely different audience on the same subject, 
I will perhaps explain what 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 the what the link is there and what why why this thing can make a difference. And I I, I reckon I invested about two thousand hours of work in 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 this video course plus uh, plus the self help manual, and I very happily donated it to the Forever Family Foundation which is a non-profit organization, is US-based, but has over 10,000 members worldwide. And it's an organization of essentially bereaved people, particularly bereaved parents, not only, but I think there's a, there's a good majority of members who, who have actually lost uh, uh, a child. And the organization is devoted to promoting afterlife science for the benefit of the bereaved. And this thing has, has, has been going for a, for a few years now, and I keep receiving every, maybe every week or so, I receive an email from somebody who says, hey, this has made a difference for me. And that's as much as a human being can possibly ask. And that makes me, makes me very happy. And those 2,000 hours were very, very well uh, invested. Absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. I think people get into this subject, yes, because there might be a fear of death. I think at a certain age, we start contemplating the bigger picture. But more so than that, when someone has a loved one that passes, grief has the power to kill us inside. And many people have taken their own lives. Mm -hmm. And it was similar but different than you. When When I experienced grief myself, and was able to work through it and gain a better understanding. And then in addition with the afterlife information I had, it was at that point, there was the tipping point that I said, I need to share this with people. Underneath all of it is that, that brutal pain uh, um, that we all experience when we love there's grief when we no longer have our person. And so I have in, that workbook in, of yours, and it's excellent. All right, you do. In fact, interestingly enough, it's called "Love Knows No Death" because it's true. That's what we're told by our, you know, our deceased loved ones on the other side. You know, the body's not there anymore, but I still exist, and crucially, the love I had for you before I died is still there. Still oh, there. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, they show intentionality. They're not just personalities existing in a vacuum. They're the same person and mm-hmm. they have the same feelings they had before, which is fantastic. Yes. Every week since COVID hit and lockdown started, my friends and I started an online Sunday gathering, we call it. And it's it's like a spiritual service. It is one, not like one. And there's a reading and there's philosophy and there's music and prayer and healing. But at the end of each one, my friends who are mediums just north of Edinburgh, they're also in Scotland. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go. They do medium readings on our online audience. So oh, I baby. witness miracles every week you with should... these reunitings. And I can't help but want to share that because absolutely they're real. They, they live on. I'm... We can't see them. But they're I here would, with us. 
I would be delighted to attend one of these if if the timing is not too terrible for me because you know the time difference makes I'm I'm a poor sleeper unfortunately and if I stay if I stay up late at night the night's gone and uh, it happens at seven o'clock your time on Sundays which is East Coast New York time two p.m. and our friends please, in California will you send eleven a.m. Oh, of course. Uh, And for anybody watching or listening, if you go to my website, which is wedontdie.com, there's a tab at the top that says Sunday Gatherings. Oh, there you go. So I can can do that. But but each week there's a different registration link. You'll be in our Zoom room with us. So when you can recognize a loved one, you press your raise hand button. And it's really nice. It is, And these two mediums are so specific and they have so much love in their heart. And again, this is free. And everyone leaves that with knowing that love never dies. So let's get into Step Into the Light in your new Uh book. And we'd love to hear some of the reasons you do believe in the afterlife too. And then about how it makes a difference in living life, your information. Right. So we have, I understand we have about a week to cover these subjects. (laughs) I'm kidding. We need a lot longer than that. Because you packed a lot of questions in, 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 uh, of different questions in one. Briefly, briefly. What today I am convinced that A, mind cannot is related to, but more than the electrochemical activity of the brain. Anybody who's looked at the parapsychology parapsychology research and afterlife studies can only draw that conclusion. Yes, there is a correlation, but it's more than. It's not dependent on, mind is not dependent on, mind can exist independently from a functioning physical brain. Facts say that. There's not wishful thinking. Facts say that. And secondly, as we just said, and and perhaps this is an extension of the the first truth, is that we do survive physical death. When I say do, I mean our mind, our personality, our memories, as we just said, our affections, do survive the demise of the physical body. And people often ask me, where's the proof of that? And if we had a superficial conversation, I could point you to a number of elements, of pieces of evidence, which in themselves are so strong, so undeniable, that they would constitute proof in themselves. But if we are having a truly serious conversation, if I were to defend this in a court of justice, for instance, I would present, I would make the argument that survival is supported, let's say, a rational belief in life after life is supported by the collective weight of the evidence. There are, as I said, individual pieces which are very, very strong. But still, when you consider the collective weight of the evidence, about a dozen field of investigation, afterlife communication, reincarnation studies, near-death studies, deathbed visions, there's about a dozen. And they are coherent and consistent. They all point to the same 
truth, the unbelievable truth that we don't die, as Sandra says. Um, so I'm not convinced by one thing. I've not been convinced, as I said before, in one flash of insight or understanding. It's, it's, it's For me, it's the accumulation of, of information. I like to say that rational belief in life after life is supported by the knowledge and critical evaluation of facts. People have to know and engage their own reason in, in say, as I do in 21 days, as I do in, in both uh, the, work, the, the workbook that you have, uh, Love Knows No Death, and the new book, Step Into the Light, I engage the reader's reason because that's the only way to really make that step that transform, transforms the pain of a loss and transforms the fear of death. So let me take another moment of, of, of your time and your listeners' time to explain a little bit where I come from in my applied psychical research, or yes, applied afterlife studies stance. I have uh, studied cognitive behavior therapy, which is an evidence, the evidence-based form of psychotherapy, which is now the standard treatment, particularly for depression and also for anxiety disorders. And the premise of cognitive therapy is very simple. It's evidence-based, so again, it's not a theory, a fancy theory like psychoanalysis is, again, facts and evidence-based. And what facts and evidence say is that the way we feel depends entirely on the way we think. If we have a stimulus, the stimulus does not lead directly to an emotion. Before the emotion is felt, you have to pass through an interpretation of the stimulus. I'll give you a sim very simple example. You're asleep at night and you're woken up by a noise in, a, in the adjacent room. That's the stimulus. It's the same as a noise there, something crashing there. Your first thought is a burglar has entered the apartment. What's your emotion? Fear, panic. Thank you. Your first thought is the cat has knocked over the flower vase. What's your reaction? What's your emotion? Uh, could be upset, but I go back to sleep. There you go. So the stimulus is the same. The interpretation of the stimulus is different. The emotion that we feel so strongly is completely different. So thoughts are fundamentally important in determining our emotions and, and how our well-being. In the case of bereavement, in the case of a pain of a loss, I am fond, again, I use this expression, I am fond of saying that there's a part of the pain which is quite simply unavoidable, Sandra. That is who we are as human beings. And there's no pill, there's no theory, 
There's no nothing that will take that away. We are humans. We're bound to have this, which is the possibly the most commonly shared experience. We lose, some, lose somebody, we love, we're in pain. There's nothing to do. That part is incompressible. It cannot be compressed. But there's another part of the pain which is avoidable and unnecessary. And that part of the pain comes from a thought. And the thought is, my loved one has vanished. My loved one has disappeared into a black nothingness. It existed, and now it doesn't exist anymore. That's a very painful thought. It generates an unspeakable, really, I mean, pain and suffering. Yes. And it is simply not true. So like in cognitive therapy, cognitive therapy teaches you to, un to uh, recognize these automatic negative thoughts that support depression and not to go all the way to positive thinking, yeah, I'm the best because that's fake. That's equally fake. It simply rebalances and reformulate the thought in a more realistic way. The same thing can be done with thoughts about death, right? So this is very helpful for people who have lost a loved one. And here I come to the latest book, which has been written. I am, I am surprised, pleasantly surprised at myself, I must say, because I've researched and written a whole book during lockdown, you say, ha ha, easy enough. You've got nothing else to do. True. But as we were saying in the pre-interview, in our, you know, uh, the little chat we had, this last year has taken a big toll on me psychologically. I'm, I'm, I make no mystery. I had a, a relatively major depressive episode, uh, very strongly linked with the limitations and the fact of being, you know, the lockdown and, and all, all these things. And, you know, we've all suffered in our own ways. And my way of suffering was through a depression, out of which I'm very glad to say I'm, 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 I'm out now, but I suffered quite a bit. Despite that, since I'm a good soldier, <laughs> I managed to research and write a, a whole book which came out uh, just April 1st, but it's not an April Fool. It's a very serious book. And it's directed specifically at those in fear of death, their own death or the death of a loved one. And here again, I want you and, and our, our friends, our listeners, to, to, to put ourselves in, in a situation, it's possibly one of the, the worst situations we can think. We don't really want to think of that possibility. And it, let's say that will never happen to us. But if it were to happen, if we were to find ourselves in, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with a terminal disease, or at least the diagnosis of a terminal disease, that is bad enough a situation, isn't it? There is, like for the bereaved person, there's a part 
of the suffering of that situation, which unfortunately is not me, is not nothing will take that away. It's the discomfort in certain cases, unfortunately, is the actual pain. It really is a difficult situation. Made worse, unnecessarily worse by the fear, by the terror of annihilation. The fear of ceasing to exist. I exist now and I will not exist anymore. I have experiences now. This is what really what we treasure. I have experiences now, and then it will be a black curtain, and I will not experience anything anymore. Well, that thought is false. That thought is not supported to evidence, and this is a beautiful truth. So unfortunately, I cannot do anything for the pain and the suffering of going through you know, a, a serious, uh, a fatal degenerative disease or, or a cancer or whatever it is. But I can do a lot to take away that unnecessary pain. And what I do is that I explain. Can I go on? Do we, oh, I still we have, have a moment? Because I mean, I'm really, ah! <laughs> the floor is um, yours. I mean, take my, as much time as you like. You're so kind. I mean, my elements, because I'm passionate about these things. These things are not only intellectually interesting, and that's what attracts me. They, are, they, have, they have such a transformative potential for people, and that's why I'm so enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing in Step Into the Light is that instead, people, okay, people are scared of dying, are scared of not... Are, of a fear of not existing anymore, which is, you know, a primordial fear we all have. But people are also curious to know what dying is like. And, and if indeed there is an afterlife, that in itself is a great has a great reason for hope and optimism. But what is that afterlife like? So in order to answer those questions, one could have uh, reviewed, I don't know, the religious and beliefs around the world and what they say about the afterlife or, or some philosophical stances on, on what an afterlife might be. Well, I thought of taking a much more pragmatic approach. Let's ask those who've been there. And my sources of information are essentially three. One specific to the process of dying, and those are deathbed visions, an end-of-life phenomena. Then on what the afterlife may or actually does look like, we have two other major sources of information, which are near-death experiencers and those who have actually died and communicate to us from the other side, the spirit communicators. So the first part of the book is devoted to establishing the credibility of these sources. Can Is it reasonable to trust the testimony from DBVs, deathbed visions, NDEs, near-death experiences, and spirit communication? 
And I engage the reader in what I describe as a bit of a detective work, like, you know, a forensic, like CSI <laughs> business, because we look at what deathbed visions and other end-of-life phenomena are. We look at all the alternative explanations for these beautiful, beautiful experiences that many people have. Let me open a parenthesis here because many people don't know. Mind you, if you ask nurses or people working in hospices, they say, oh, of course, we see this all the time. But then let me share this snippet of evidence. We know that about... 10% of people are conscious at the moment of their passing, okay? Of those, two-thirds, I mean a massive two-thirds, have deathbed visions. They are seen, they were semi-comatose and they lost all the faculties and they were just laying in bed, and 12, 24, 36 hours before actually passing, they seem to wake up, their demeanor changes completely, and they talk to people nobody else sees, not always. Somebody, some, sometimes they are also seen, and those are the shared death experiences. But let's, let's stay with DBVs. And they say, oh, here's, here's my mom, here's my brother, his, I mean, deceased relatives who have, who are constantly said to have come to take them over to facilitate the passing. And, and, and there's, this is much more complex than that. I'm just, you know, mm -hmm. big paintbrushes, right? Mm -hmm. So deathbed visions and other end-of-life phenomena paint a very rosy picture of the moment of passing. Can we believe that? Or are we fooling ourselves? I don't want to be taken for a ride, I mean, as much as I'm happy to, 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 to have this rational belief, and really, I mean, for me, is a terror to be, you know, to believe something that's false. Well, let's look at it. Let's look at the phenomenon. Let's look at what explanations have been attempted or att tentatively proposed, and we see that none of the normal explanations can actually account for the clinical facts. So we establish the credibility of DBVs. Then we do the same for near-death experiences to quite some extent. Step into the light is not daytime television. I'm sorry to say. I know that I'm cutting off a part of the potential readership here. It's not an academic text, but it requires some commitment. You have to engage with the evidence. If you want to arrive at the beautiful belief that can take away your fear of death, you have to engage with the evidence. So you have to understand that deathbed visions are credible, near-death experiences are credible, and it is reasonable to trust what spirit communicators tell us. It is reasonable to believe that they are who or what they claim to be. And I mean, it, it takes quite a few pages to, to get to that understanding. Once we've 
or I have, let's say, we, we together, once we've established, me and the reader, that those sources of information are credible, then the second part of the book looks at what they actually say. And what it was, again, so interesting from, from the personal, the human point of view and from the intellectual point of view is to see that people from totally different traditions, backgrounds, cultures, previous religious beliefs or non-beliefs, they essentially say the same things. We've, we, we know that from near-death experiences, but it's amazing to see the same thing coming from deathbed visions and from spirit communication. And even more intriguing, many of the things they say concerning the afterlife and what happens to us are in direct contrast to what is said by established religions. And that, for me, is a further element that indicates that they are, they are real sources because they are relating not what you would expect their beliefs to be. They are relating an actual experience. So that's what Step Into the Light uh, is, is all about. And in the big picture, after reading it, and not just reading it, but I think everyone has to go on this journey for themselves. And it's great to believe what other people say, but we need to experience it for ourselves to really get it, to really embrace the truth. But what do you see possible? I mean, it's not only just not having a fear of death that's possible. What's possible with how people live life? Sorry, what's possible? Say well, again. How, how can people live life differently with well, having this information? Living if um, living a meter off the ground, <laughs> if you see, if you, if you, that, sorry, this came out of somewhere, but really, when you realize that this all important life that we think is the only way people say, oh, life is too short and it's the only one we have, etc." Well, actually not. <laughs> actually not. Life is much grander than we can possibly think. And I mean, if really you, you spoke about the greater scheme of things here, I'm, I'm really thinking of the greatest, greatest, greatest scheme of things. And I mean, it, 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 and, and we we do draw that conclusion, funnily enough, at the beginning and at the end mm -hmm. of the book. Life exists at various different levels. Earth or whatever material world we happen to be living in at certain stages is one of those levels. There are other levels which we visit apparently reportedly in a cyclical fashion. It seems, it appears, we can conclude all these <laughs> expressions, we can conclude that life is formed or consists of rather a series of cycles including an earthly or otherwise material incarnation 
followed by sojourns in various levels of the spiritual realms. There's not one afterlife, there are many, and there are often, even in traditional spiritual traditions, there, you know, they speak about the seven heavens and, and, and everything. There are concentric spheres, if you want, or, 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 or different levels. The material level being the, what I say lowest, it's, it's, it is low, but it's not judgmental. It happens to be the more solid, the more material. And then you move, when, when you shed the physical body, you move into or through progressively more refined, more spiritual, less material planes of existence but it is always existence. It's the same existence we are experiencing now. We exist in a non-material world. And then we do reincarnate. That's the only conclusion we can draw from testimony and from evidence. And this happens how many times? I don't know. How many angels can dance on, the, on, on a pinhead? I don't know. But I would say many times. And we go through the cycle of earthly incarnation and life in the different spheres, so to speak, of the, of the spirit world. But this is not a, a, a line. We're, we're not on the same level. This is not a flat process. This is an upward process. I see it as a spiral going up because the meaning the final, the quintessential, the fundamental meaning of existence is making experiences, is experiencing the very fact of experiences. And these experiences accumulate. They contribute to wisdom, to the age of our personality, of our soul, to the point that at some stage, when we've accumulated enough experiences through many of these cycles, then when it's time to go back and reincarnate, well, not anymore. Then we do finally merge into this unity, fundamental consciousness. Call it God if you want to be religious. If you want to call it uh, 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 with with uh, with a religious term, I'd rather call it cosmic consciousness or the ultimate nature of reality. And here I speak personally. I'm not speaking about evidence of or or or, or facts anymore. That's my personal convictions after studying these things for many years. After, yeah reflecting and thinking, I became convinced that the ultimate nature of reality is not matter, it's consciousness. Consciousness creates matter and not all the way around. I know this is difficult, but that's, I love that's, it. What, I, that's what I believe. I'm with you. And, I, and, there are, and there are very, very, very strong arguments that can mm -hmm. be made for that, okay? And if that is true, that is perfectly consistent with what we are told by our mm -hmm. sources of information. And therefore, at the end of these many cycles and processes and everything, we go back 
into being what we've always been, consciousness. We were consciousness to begin with. We manifested in earthly incarnations and unearthly incarnations, the same. We manifest on earth as material beings and in the spirit world as non-material beings, but we still manifest as beings. And then at the end of the process, like a wave that has formed from the ocean and goes back in the ocean. But it was ocean all the time. And we've been consciousness, awareness all the time. That all, That's all that exists. It's very well said. And there's an author named Mike Dooley who always says, thoughts become things. Oh, so choose the good ones. So I want to just remind everyone who's listening or watching right now about what you said about when things happen and they go through the mind. Uh, someone had said the mind can make a heaven out of hell or hell out of heaven. Absolutely. And so with concepts like, say, reincarnation or merging into greater consciousness, there can be fear that comes up about well, what's going to happen. And I, and there's arguments on both sides for reincarnation and different things. And I always tell people, go with what feels right. You know, believe in perfect. We're all on our own journeys. But be careful of what the mind says, because even when I was a five-year-old child, I wasn't thinking so far into the future as to what's life going to be like when I'm 55, which is now. And the same thing happens to be afraid right now for what could happen in a thousand years merging into the consciousness. We have to trust that we have made it this far in life. We've made it through grief. We've made it through obstacles and struggles and even the terrible things people have made it through. But the bottom line is we made it through. So we will still be us in the afterlife and we will continue, but we won't have this negative self-talk. This is addressed again. Sorry for coming back to the book. No, it's good. I mean, you know, because these are crucial questions that needs addressing. And these are addressed specifically with very specific quotes that again, in a way which we do not begin to understand, that merging in a thousand or a billion, whatever, you know, time apparently is, is a very earthly concept. It mm-hmm. doesn't apply to other parts of our existence. But let's say in this distant future, when we will apparently reportedly merge back into consciousness, we will not lose our individuality. And this is mysterious and marvelous. So even if now we've taken care of your death, fear of death tomorrow or, you know, in, in, in 30, 40, 50 years. Now don't have the fear. Don't replace that with the fear of merging back into consciousness because that's not, that's not really granted. You, you, we do somehow retain our individuality even as part of this cosmic whole. Let me take a last stab, if I may, on why it's important to know what happens when we die and afterwards. 
we have been repeatedly told, and you know, the second part of the book is essentially made up of quotes. They are organized quotes and and systematized, and and there's this introduction and commentary to the quotes. But these are quotes from the sources. We established the credibility of the sources. Now we want to use them. Okay. On this particular subject, there is a, a really an insistence on the part of our deceased friends on the other side that being prepared, knowing what's going to happen to you once you shed your physical body is essential to avoid a period of confusion and bewilderment which can actually be unpleasant. And some people experience when either they suffer a sudden death they were not prepared of for, or they have not thought about this. They don't know what to expect, or maybe they expect not to exist anymore. That makes the initial period of the afterlife a possibly unpleasant experience. Remember the medieval Christian prayer quoted by the late Professor David Fontana, Bless his soul, one of my really intellectual heroes. And he reminded of, of, of this prayer that says, God, save me from a sudden death. Why? It's the sudden element that's important. Because a sudden death is a death for which we're not prepared and may lead, as I say, to this moment of, of, of yeah, disorientation, bewilderment, and, and possibly negative experiences, which is temporary, because at the end of the day, we all naturally, like a bubble, like a bubble of air from the bottom of the ocean, we naturally soar up. Our, our discarnate selves naturally soar towards higher dimensions. So that moment of, of disorientation and negativity is temporary. But if you can avoid it, so much the better. How to avoid it? Be prepared, as the scouts would say, be prepared by knowing what life after life is like. And our loved ones will be there to greet us. I have full faith in that. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, one of the Amongst the many fears about death is the fact that people are scared of dying alone. We never die alone. We always die. Even at the moment of death, we're surrounded by loved ones. And if we don't have, I don't know anybody who doesn't have any deceased loved one, but if we happen not to have we have spiritual beings and spirit guides who come and greet you and help you transitioning over. So we do not die alone. And that's the first beautiful truth about death, apart from the fact that we don't die. Oh, it's wonderful. And I think even probably for you and for me, there are times that we question everything that we've done and learned. It's like, is this really happening? I mean, it, I think for our human beingness, we're not meant to remember 24 hours a day, mm -hmm. the bigger picture, because I don't know if there would be the value in life. Uh, we, we still 
need some struggles to have successes. And there's so many things. But I, and probably you, live a different kind of life because we can't be caught up in our humanity too long because all it takes is sharing or even our some of our listeners or viewers, you might watch a video on YouTube and you think, oh yeah, that's right. It is a much bigger picture. So mm-hmm. I don't think we tend to buy into negativity as long. I think we can be more powerful in life as opposed to being a victim. We might say, okay, maybe this is in my life and I've got something to learn for my soul. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Also, I I'm with you entirely, and I think that we we owe it to ourselves to to try to improve ourselves and and you know to avoid suffering if possible, and to create in our material lives the conditions as possible to be happy. But remember what I said a moment ago: we come to this earth or to other material worlds. As well as we exist here and we exist in the spiritual realm for one reason, to have experiences. And there are certain experiences we are clearly told which are only possible in the material plane. Not all these experiences are positive. Unfortunately, we were not made or born to be happy all the time. We have to serenely admit that. The important, when, 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 we, when we are having unpleasant experiences, we don't like it. I really was not well uh, six or eight or 10 months ago, and I hated it. And I was trying to squirm out of it. And like anybody would, if you have a short tooth, you don't like it. It's it's in and you do anything you can to try to come out of that. However, from the greater, the, the far away perspective we've taken a moment ago, that is an experience. That is part of what we came to this earth for having experiences. And I think, like many of us know, whether it's a tooth or whether it's a loved one who dies. Once we've had that experience, we can make a difference with someone else. Whether it's you can make it through this, you learn how strong you are. Absolutely. Uh, I had a friend of mine who ended up making a lot of money. So much money that he bought all the best things, traveled around the world, shared freely with his friends, and he was miserable. because. He wasn't being happy all the time. Yeah. You don't, you aren't happy all the time. You can't. So he gave it up and he's living. I mean, he still has money, but he's working. He's contributing to society. <laughs> and that's where the true riches are. It's a, it, and he is a better human being, dare I say. I don't want to be judgmental, but you know, I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. I agree. Well, Anything else you'd like to share? We're coming up to the top I, of the I hour here. I think that we've we've discussed a lot of things, and I enjoyed a lot. That was it, it's always an outlet for my enthusiasm, and I really thank you for for providing that. And I thank the listeners who've endured <laughs> my 
the blether, as we say in Glasgow, you, you may, it, it, uh, listeners will be uh, baffled because uh, they, they hear Italian undertones and, and Scottish undertones in my speaking. Yes, I'm a tally. I'm, I'm a Glaswegian Italian. <laughs> so oh, that's it's a beautiful thing. You're a beautiful <laughs> man. You're oh, a, you're so kind. Well, you're just so some kind. announcements before we conclude. Uh, first of all, we have a home base. You can either type in wedontdie.com or wedontdieradio.com. And since this time of lockdown, all kinds of different things have happened. We now have 358 episodes of We Don't Die Radio. I've also been asked to create a new radio show on iHeartRadio, which is a big deal. So I have a second show called Shades of the Afterlife that you can also find at wedontdie.com. And it's different than this one. This one we can talk and we have the freedom to just be. And that is almost like highlights from different episodes. And um, there are commercial breaks on that one because it's getting out to a much bigger audience, but it happens. But there's all kinds of new things that people may not have heard of before. Also at wedontdie.com, we had mentioned our Sunday gathering. You can join us for that 100% free and you can watch all the replays as well. But we're now doing online medium demonstrations, which are great in Zoom rooms. We're also doing some online courses. So there's opportunities every month to join into one of our four-week classes on different things like psychic and mediumship. And we have one on trance and the altered states where you can learn to close your eyes and uh, feel the love and energy from loved ones and and our inspirers in the unseen world. And then we're just starting a new one called The Way to Your Spirit, which will be an inner journey through mindfulness and meditation and sitting in the power just to really help have your human existence be the best it can be and be utilizing that soul power that we all have. So I'm very, very proud of that. Also, while you're at wedontdie.com, you can join what's called my insiders club. And that's just my mailing list. But when you do, there's a free audio called how to survive grief that you get. Also, it says read a few chapters of my book, we don't die. Here's the secret. It's the entire book because I want you to have all the information that that we have. And it truly is a journey for yourself. And like Dr. Piero said, don't be caught up in the mind because the mind can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. And so lots of good things going on. Once again, I want to say to our dear friend, Dr. Piero, thank you. Thank you for being our guest today. Sandra, it's me thanking you and thanking the, all, all the public and the listeners. May I just remind, as in a way of announcement myself, my website is drparizetti, doctor, is, but with the, with the title dr, drparizetti.com. And if you, you so wish, it, it, my book is available, like anything, on Amazon. Just look look up my name as a mouthful, Piero Calvi Dash Parisetti, and uh, step into the light. You will land. It, it costs pennies, and I think it's a worth read, if I may say. I so. think so too. Well, also, 
if you're listening and there's a description of this episode, there'll be a link that you can pick, click on. Or if you're on YouTube, just scroll down and you you. can just press the link to the book. So the name of the book is Step Into the Light, Transform Your Fear of Death by Learning About Life After Life. And oh, I'm just so happy we've spent this time. And for our listeners, thank you so much. Or our viewers, I keep forgetting. Some are watching, some are listening. Thank you so much. And my name is Sandra Champlain, as you know, but I believe that life is an education for the soul. I believe that each one of our lives are so important while we're here. There will be a time that we close our eyes a very last time here on earth and we open them and we're surrounded by our loved ones and even our pets. But often before we cross that finish line, while we're still alive, We look back on our life and sometimes there's things that are undone and unsaid and regrets. So what we like you to do is to play full out right now, realize that you can never die, but make the most of your life now. And I think it's just really important to do that. So I want to thank everyone. Thank you for listening (laughs) or for viewing again. Thank you. To Dr. Piero, visit drparasetti.com. Everybody. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye for now, everyone.